Welcome to an episode of I Am Black History, Our Voices, Our Stories, brought to you by In the Black Canada and Deep Visions Media. I'm your host, Donna Paris, coming to you from Toronto, and I want to acknowledge that the land I am settled on today is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples and is home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples. I also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13, signed with the Mississaugas of the Credit, and the Warriors Treaty signed with multiple Mississaugas and Chippewa bands. I give gratitude and thanks. On our last episode, I spoke with Miriam Tolson Murty, who is the president of the Hour a Day Study Club which was started 87 years ago by a group of Black, female, Underground Railroad descendants, and is still going strong. There was so much to say about this historic organization and the women who started it that we didn't get to talk about the 85th anniversary celebration of the club that took place in 2019, or the recipients of the scholarships that are given out each year by the club. I also wanted Miriam to talk about the work she does as the Strategic Planning Officer for Anti-Black Racism Initiatives in the Office of the President at the University of Windsor. Join me now as I continue my conversation with Miriam Tolson Murthy. That was quite a night for you, the 85th celebration. Can you talk a little bit about that evening? That was wonderful. We had David Watkins, family members that are chartered members of the Hour Day Study Club, who's gone on to become an award-winning teacher and he's a fabulous illustrator as well and just great supporter of the Hour a Day Study Club. We had some dignitaries from the city that showed up as well but it was just a great night because every single one of our scholarship recipients were Ontario scholars. They were all going on to university or university college programs That night in particular, we gave away about $15,000 in scholarships. And I would say like in the last 18 years now, we are approaching about $200,000 just through donations, you know, not applying for loans or grants, all through donations. And I just think that is so incredible. What happened in 2020? Did you get to have a celebration? I mean, with the COVID and lockdown, were you still able to give out scholarships? Yeah, so we were still able to give out about $8,000 in scholarships. Unfortunately, we did not have a grand celebration, but I think that allowed us for the opportunity to pivot as well, get more engaged in social media. That really sort of sparked our idea in terms of, okay, well, let's get a picture of each of our graduates and we'll kind of highlight them and we'll highlight each recipient every week and things of that nature, so much to the point that we've incorporated that now into our application. So please provide us with a photo because we want to be able to promote these individuals on our social media platforms. We were able to uh, still go to their homes, deliver a check, a congratulatory card. The day that we were actually going to meet for a socially distanced photo, oh my goodness, there was just a torrential downpour and everything. And I know so many of the kids were like so disappointed, but their disappointment was subsided quickly when when we made sure that they got the check. (laughs) (laughs) I have one more clip from Glendora. I asked her about the future of the club. I'd like to see it go on for another hundred years. That's what I'd like to say. And it can, it means work and commitment. 
that is the main thing. It's a commitment that you make to an organization, the commitment, and stick to it. And somebody like Mary, she had two small children. She wants to be part of it. She's made up her mind she's going to show a difference in this club, and I think she will do it. I really do. I think she will do it. She's a very smart girl, and she knows how to get things done. I've noticed that. So I see how she can pull things together, and that's amazing. She knows how to pull it together. I think she's done a fantastic job, and I give her credit, but it's beyond me now. Yeah. Our day. Beautiful as it was. Yeah. Obviously, you think the club is every bit as important now as it was when it first began, or maybe even more so. What are your hopes, your plans, your goals for the future of the Hour a Day Study Club? Well, definitely, I do think that it does need to be recognized more so on a national level. We've been around for 87 years, underground railroad descendants, a Black female-led organization. Yes, this needs to garner national attention. So every single Canadian needs to know who we are. We should be discussed in schools and like at the university. Okay, well, we need to incorporate this into one of the women's and gender studies courses in terms of a lesson. And we actually were able to get some students through a service learning project this past winter semester that specifically wanted to do work with the Hour Day Studies Clubs, incorporating it more into the education but definitely being recognized at a national level. And also people, too, recognizing that it is a cultural heritage organization, the Our Day Study Club. It is about cultural preservation. We want to preserve the cultural heritage while also promoting post-secondary education for youth that are underground railroad descendants, but youth, period. And also just for more organizations that are coming to the forefront, especially those that are Black female organizations that are doing advocacy work. I would just like for them to recognize that there's organizations like the Hour Day Study Club that have helped to lay the foundation. So if there are more of these women's organizations that are coming to the forefront, it's definitely important for them to recognize the women that have come before them kind of looking to see the path that they have laid because 87 years, that's nothing to scoff at and just recognize what they had to endure and the battles they fought so we didn't have to fight them here in 2021. I think it's just part of that education, just in terms of, okay, so you're going to move forward, but just recognize who was here before you. Right. What do you know about some of the recipients about what they've gone on to do? Dr. Howard McCurdy, who not only a wonderful professor in biochemistry at the University of Windsor, but went into politics as well. We have Philip Alexander, who went on to become associate dean of the Faculty of Engineering. We have Beth Allen, who went on to become a judge in Superior Court up in Toronto. Also, Justice Lloyd Dean as well, who just recently retired from the bench here in the Windsor area. And, you know, so many educators, Glendora's daughter, Hilda Watkins, who went on to become the president of the Teachers Federation. So, I mean, doctors, lawyers, politicians, you name it, they have come through the Hour Day Study Club and we help in terms of just being a, a little part of their success and helping them a bit financially pursue their post-secondary educational pursuits and gone on to some amazing and, and wonderful careers. 
Let's talk about the work that you do at the University of Windsor. I am an educator at the University of Windsor. I was seconded in October 2020. Before my secondment, I was working in the Faculty of Education as a continuing teacher education program coordinator. So I always describe that particular role as the person who teaches teachers, you know, helping them get their additional qualifications to move up, hiring instructors, helping with the course curriculum, so on and so forth. I was seconded into the role of strategic planning officer of anti-Black racism initiatives. Definitely in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, it provided an opportunity, if you will, for many post-secondary education institutions to take a look at themselves and really see what they've been doing and what they can do better. Definitely the University of Windsor was no exception, especially when there were high-profile incidents of racism on our campus as well. I knew I definitely did not want to go into that role if it was about window dressing, if it was just about sort of helping to smooth things aside, you know, shuffle a few papers around and make it look like you're doing something. Absolutely, I did not want to be a part of that. But when I saw that the president was definitely 100% genuine and sincere in terms of dismantling anti-Black racism on campus and not just saying it, but I could see it, then I knew, yes, I wanted to be part of these efforts. So we are definitely making strides. One of the things that I'm involved with is helping to lead the anti-Black racism task force at the University of Windsor. So they've been working several months now. And they will be ready to provide their reports to the University of Windsor and the president. And we'll see the number of recommendations that they will put forth. We've had a great opportunity to develop scholarships for students as well. More scholarship funds that are available specifically for our Black students. Student leadership experience grants. So wonderful $10,000 opportunities for students to address anti-Black racism on campus. We have the 12 Black Faculty Hire Initiative that is going on on campus. And once again, that representation. You look around the University of Windsor, they like to mention how diverse they are, how diverse campus is. And I think that's probably one of the issues with our school system as well. You, You want to talk about how diverse your student population is, but your teaching staff is not reflective of that at all. And that's one of the things that we're addressing at the University of Windsor, too. We have an anti-racism pedagogies teaching leadership chairperson, Dr. Andrew Allen. We have a new acting VP of equity, diversity, and inclusion. We've never had that role at all before. Dr. Clinton Beckford has stepped into that role as of June 1st. So now I'm one of the key people that's helping to build this equity, diversity, and inclusion office while still addressing specifically issues of anti-Black racism. I can see other universities reaching out to you. Definitely, there are other institutions. And what's interesting about that is so many institutions, I shouldn't say so many, there are a few that put out the post-George Floyd murder statements in terms of where they stand on anti-Black racism and stuff like that. And things have just fallen by the wayside. We put out an announcement, even though, yes, by the president's admission, the first one wasn't great, but the next one, the follow-up one, was very robust, and it had action items, and Mm -hmm. we've been able to adhere to those action items. We see places like Queen's University, which is surprising, because as I mentioned earlier, they still have this reputation of being a very homogenous campus and very elitist, but they've really been at the forefront of 
doing a lot of anti-Black racism work and also Ryerson University as well, University of Toronto Scarborough. Many of these institutions, we are sort of like collaborating and learning from each other and hosting workshops together and things like that. And experts that are at their particular institution, oh, okay, do you mind coming and speaking with our faculty and staff here and hosting a workshop? So I think it's very much a collaborative effort. We recognize these post-secondary institutions were essentially built on a system of exclusion. It wasn't set up for Black, Indigenous, racialized individuals, very colonialized system. Those systems have just been in place for decades, if not centuries. And so it is time to dismantle that. All eyes are on us. There's huge accountability. And it's not just a faculty, student, staff, alumni, but it's the broader community that wants to have a stake in all of this. And Windsor is no exception. Working with the Black community as well, they want to see a change. And I'm here to make sure that we push that needle further and students do not have to suffer the indignities of racism in order just to earn a degree at their institution. There's never been, I don't think, so much attention on anti-Black racism. And we were all holding our breath, waiting for the verdict in the George Floyd case, and then it came. There's a lot of attention in the U.S., but Canada's had its own history of racism. Well, and I think that's been an education for many individuals, too, who for years just, oh, that's just a U.S. problem. That's just, that, that doesn't happen here. And, you know, wait a minute, are you not familiar with the fact that there was slavery in Canada? Did you not realize that there were segregated schools right in this region? Here, read my master's thesis where I talk about SS, you know, number 11 in Colchester that closed in, like, 1965 and, you know, right. things of that nature. And that just sort of hearkened to the fact that whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, how little Black education is taught in Canada, in Windsor. And it's just, it's just so indicative in terms of how our school boards have let the individual schools get away with not teaching Black history because for so long, oh, well, I, I don't feel comfortable teaching this, so can, you know, and just trying to push it off to another teacher to teach it or just not teach it at all or just teach the bare minimum or teach the stereotypical things that just keep getting rotated year after year after year and which is why there's so much misinformation about black people and you know experiences and accomplishments i know that is definitely going to be changing on our campus with the implementation of our anti-racism pedagogies teaching leadership chair who is going to be working with all of the faculties in terms of decolonizing their curriculum. Whether or not it's a political science class or whether it's a biochemistry class, there are elements of Blackness, if you will, African culture that can be incorporated into those courses. So I'm looking forward to that especially because once again, it's all about representation and for students to feel engaged while they're learning. A lot of times where, you know, students might change their major or, you know, worst case scenario, drop out because they do not feel engaged with the curriculum and they don't feel engaged with their professors as well. So You're talking about university level. What about in the elementary schools? What would you like to see happen there around students getting to know about Black history? 
to me, it's almost a no-brainer, and I and I don't know why it's been so difficult, especially when you have students that live in an area such as Windsor. It's just ingrained here, and there's so much to tell, and it shouldn't be just relegated to one month out of the year, and then even in that one month, you're kind of picking and choosing what you want to talk about. It's something that can be woven into all areas of elementary and high school curriculum in terms of the people and the history and the actual culturally relevant places that you can actually physically go and explore. It's just so unfortunate that much of the information hasn't been enforced because the information is there. And as you know, you know, Roads to Freedom, the document, Mm -hmm. the information's there. It's been made available. I know some updates are being made to it now. It's there. But if there's no accountability in terms of the enforcing of the teaching of it, then we're back where we started from. And people are just unaware as they, you know, navigate their way through elementary, high school, and then into post-secondary, and then not knowing how to relate to your colleagues whether they're Black or from any other racial or or cultural group, because you just don't know that history. I am glad that the University of Windsor is seriously looking, once again, at implementing a Black Studies program. And there's so much community support behind it. There's faculty and staff that are 100% behind it as well and are really not going to back down. On that front, I really see movement happening. And if that can be implemented at the university level, I see that trickle down effect in terms of, oh, okay, well, I took Black Studies courses in high school. You know what? I want to major in that. Nice to see that trickle effect. Mm -hmm. What do you remember about learning about Black history when you were growing up? I remember just a couple of pages out of a textbook. And typically it was images of individuals in Africa with spears and loincloth, if you will. And it was never anything about, you know, accomplishments or inventions and things like that. Those were actually things that I learned at home from my parents. Okay. Um, and looking through the books that they had. Oh my goodness. I remember one high school class that I had, history class. And I remember my teacher talking about the continent of Africa and people that lived in Ethiopia. And he refused to say that they were black. And he said that they were just dark skinned white people. And I just remember going home and telling my parents that and <laughs> just livid. And once again, my older brothers and sisters like, oh, yeah, he was talking that nonsense back when we took him in school. I think he was talking about just in terms of their level of civilization and stuff like that. They're not black. They're just these dark-skinned white people. So we, we can't think of them as actual black or African, even though Ethiopia is in Africa. It was just, wow, you're teaching right now. Okay. All right. So <laughs> at the time when I was writing my master's thesis, 2008, there was like a lot of discussion about the Afrocentric school in Toronto and stuff like that and the implementation. And I wasn't for it. And I've been very familiar with Brown versus the Board of Education and just all of the struggles that our ancestors went through, especially in the States, to have that right to equal access to quality education. And I'm just like, they fought, they died in order, not only for them, but their family and for those that came after us 
to be in a school environment that was safe, that had same books and same level of skills from teachers in terms of that were teaching the kids. They just fought so hard for so much. I mean, I can see the need, obviously, because there's just been that history of, okay, they're not teaching my children Black history and Black culture and the fact that it can be woven through the entire curriculum. So you know what, we are going to formulate our own schools. And that's fine because once again, you know, representation matters. Being with, you know, another child that looks like your child and a teacher that looks like your child. And same with if they wanted to go on to an HBCU in the States. I could definitely understand that because you want to be with your people and around individuals that have similar aspirations that you do. But I still think on the other side of that, once you get through the educational system, elementary, high school, post-secondary, and you get out into multicultural society. I would want to make sure that our youth, our children have that exposure to everyone and not only think that they can get along with individuals that look like them. I think it's incumbent upon the education system to ensure that Black history, Indigenous history, and everyone's history is incorporated. That's the job of educators and in our education system has failed in that regard, and they need to quickly do better by our children. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? Anything that we haven't covered about the club or about the work that you're doing? Or Well, you know, I'm just an educator, and I think everything that I do just revolves around education and the advancement of education, especially for our Black youth, whether it's, you know, my nine to five at the University of Windsor, or whether it's the hour day study club, or other activities that I am involved with in the community. It's all about promoting education and furthering education and lifelong learning. And I'm a true testament to that. I mean, it was in 2008 when I completed my master's degree and I'm about to embark on my doctoral studies and everything that I'm doing in terms of my job, my career, I should say. And within the community is so in line with what my research interests are. And I know my mom used to say if I would complain about how long something is going to take in terms of, oh, yeah, that's three years, that's four years. Well, three years, four years is going to pass by anyway. You might as well do something you want to be doing during that time. I'm a retired teacher. I retired in 2019 as an elementary school teacher. So this is a whole new career for me. And before that, I'm actually a licensed general machinist by trade. I did an apprenticeship and I worked as a machinist in machine shop for years before I became a teacher. So this is like third go around. I'm not done yet. Exactly. No, we're not done until the Lord says we're done. And if you have the desire to keep going and switching gears because you want to pursue different interests, then who are we to stop you? If that's where your heart lies, then absolutely 100% do it. And don't you think we kind of owe it to those women from the Hour Day Study Club and other Black women who didn't get those chances or those opportunities? Definitely. And I think that's exactly it. And I think that's exactly why they worked so hard. The youth were sort of fulfilling what it is that they couldn't possibly fulfill. Knowing that that is moving on from generation to generation is almost like, not necessarily the trickle down, but, you know, paying it forward. Yes. So women from that generation who were the chartered members and then their daughters or nieces or sisters went on to become members too. And then the next generation and the next generation, I owe them a huge debt of gratitude just for starting this organization and just 
having the vision to see that this is something that could really last and sustain in this community for so long and just to encourage our youth. I mean, yeah, (laughs) who would have thought? 87 years. Thank you so much for spending this time with us, Miriam. Thank you so much, Donna. I greatly appreciate the opportunity. I agree with Miriam that everyone should know about and celebrate the work of the Hour a Day Study Club. If you get a chance, go to the Amherstburg Freedom Museum and learn more about this organization and the stories and experiences of other Black Canadians. Be sure to check in on November 15th for our next episode. Remember, if you have a story to share, contact us through the website at www.intheblackcanada.ca or at deepvisionsmedia at gmail.com. The only question is, what's your story?